Hey, what's going on, young professionals in energy? My name is Mark Heineman, and I'm with YPE, or Young Professionals in Energy's Denver chapter. Jake Adamson, our fellow co-host, unfortunately wasn't able to join us this go-around, but don't worry, he'll be back for future episodes. On our second episode, Ellen and I were able to chat with one of our very good friends, Deb Ryan. We've spent a lot of volunteer hours with Deb here in Denver, and we consider her a close friend and trusted colleague. Um, Debs runs the Denver office for Spruill, which is a global energy consulting firm based out of Calgary. Uh, she's had a roller coaster career, some awesome recent success, has a fantastic perspective on the energy job market and what it's going to take for young professionals to be successful in the future. On top of all that, she's super fun, wildly intelligent, Australian, and one of the most energetic and spastic people I've ever met. Have a listen. Let us know what you think. If you like it, write us a review. It's super helpful for us to gain exposure with the podcast. Without further ado, here is Deb Ryan. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Young Professionals in Energy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Heineman. I'm here with Ellen Scott, and we're here to talk today with Deb Ryan. Deb is a reservoir engineering specialist with uh, Spruill Engineering. Am I She's now that? a manager. Am I saying I that am. right, Deb? Spruill. Spruill. Yes. Just, yeah. Spruill. Cool. Yeah. Deb, why don't you give, uh, give our listeners a brief intro? So, yeah, my name is Deb Ryan. I'm the senior engineering man- senior manager of engineering at Spruill. Um, we're a global consulting firm doing mostly subsurface work across the full chain of everything from strategic advisory through reservoir characterization and reserves and into operations as well. And uh, yeah, based, I run our Denver office and we've got five offices globally. So yeah. This is a new transition. It is. Um, We, I was formerly a partner at MHA Petroleum Consultants, also still here in Denver. And we um, had and still have an office in Bakersfield that was part of that, and we were acquired by Sprawl in July, effective 1st of July 2019, so it's all still very new, um, but I'm enjoying it so far, so it's been good. So. Very cool. So before we jump into some of the acquisition and, and new new prior, or new uh, responsibilities you have as a manager, let's start with just high-level overview of what reservoir engineering is for those who don't know. Yeah, because our, our listener base is pretty vast, right? Yeah. It's energy, right? Energy, reservoir yeah. engineering is a subset in the oil and gas upstream space. Yep. It sounds fancy, but a lot of people might not really understand yeah, what, what it is. do. Yeah. yeah. And why so, are we important? Why yeah. are we important? Yeah. Um, we're, the, we're the most important, right? That's what everyone's going to say. <laughs> My job's the most important. Um, so high level, and the easiest way that I've found to describe it, um, is that we work very closely with the geologists, and the geologists essentially figure out the volume of oil or gas in the ground. And then as reservoir engineers, we figure out how much of that's going to flow and come out, essentially. Because um, there's not just a big pool of, of oil Yeah, down there so we look at the shot. interaction of the different types of fluids, mm-hmm. um, how, how things are going to flow through those rocks that the geologists have characterized and then based on well spacing, number of wells um, and stuff like that, what the production forecasts and then subsequently for the reserve piece, what the economics look like on top of that. So yeah, really looking at flow and forecasting 
Would you um, say it's uh, more of an art or more of a science? Oh, it's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I tell my mother I make stuff up on a daily basis. She's very yep. confused. Um, but yeah. She's like, well, why are you making, why money, are you making why any money? Why do people do pay you to do that? <laughs> and I make educated guesses about stuff that I have no idea about yeah. all day. Yeah. But your mom so, will back you up, right? Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. You're all, not just pulling a number out of the air. All, You're actually... all models are wrong. Some models are less wrong. Right. So anyway. <laughs> Some models are useful. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an art, but it is a very niche space in the in the upstream world and something I, I love to talk about and do and work, work in that space. Well, I mean, essentially so. the work that you do is how people can borrow against their oil and gas assets. Right. So on the reserve piece, yeah. Right. So we work with um, we work with the companies to do their reserve base um, every year, every every quarter, or whatever um, frequency that they're doing those reports. We'll work with the banks for them to be yeah to be able to guarantee loans and and look at borrowing base and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of recently I've been doing a lot of fair market value for different clients. Um, has that been for, changing a lot recently? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so we've been doing a lot of fair market value work for different purposes. Then I also do a lot of reservoir modeling, um, building 3D models, looking at fluid descriptions, rock descriptions, and some of that kind of stuff as well. So those two pieces kind of dominate my billable, I guess, time as a consultant. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So you are still balancing the consulting, the billable time with the managing. Talk yes. to us a little bit about yeah. that. Um, I... Uh, I keep telling people I have three full-time jobs at the moment, um, which is painful, but it's okay. Part of my week is spent managing projects, doing technical work, working with clients, getting them results and reports and stuff like that. Um, I have a report that I need to have to someone in the morning. That's fine. I'll, I'll do it later. <laughs> but, um, so I'm still doing a lot of that. I'll, I'll, I'll get it done. It's fine. Um, I do have a lot of support staff that help me with that. I'm not doing it all myself, obviously. And that that role has kind of transitioned a little bit where I'm doing more review work of the technical work, mm -hmm. but it's still billable. It's still going out to clients. It's still kind of stamping and checking the final results and stuff. So day to day, I'm essentially running the Denver office, um, which has included everything from IT contracts and HR and do we have enough coffee? The coffee machine was broken this morning. It was a disaster. Um, like, <laughs> so, you know, like nobody was. I, you know. I like how your accent, for, I guess, I don't know if we mentioned it yet. Oh, I'm from that's, Australia. That's from Australia. <laughs> and the way that you say HR, it sounded like HR. So, you know, so like, you know, signing checks, managing cash flow, doing our budgets, stuff like that on a local basis. And then the other aspect of my job at the moment now is I'm our as the senior manager in charge of that office, I'm part of the senior leadership group for Sprawl globally, and I pretty much spend half my week on video calls and phone calls. Last week, two weeks ago, I was in Calgary, so in-person meetings with the rest of the senior management team. Um, we're still working through a lot of integration things, so, so some of that will go away, but the senior management piece, figuring out global staffing levels, projects where we're working with maybe someone from Denver, someone from The Hague, someone from Calgary, how do we staff projects effectively and then do those proposals and send them out for projects of anywhere from $5,000 for a project to, you know, half a million and, and above. It's That piece has been an interesting addition into, I was kind of already doing the other two pieces before Sprawl turned up and this has been an additional piece yeah. it's been mm -hmm. a lot of fun um, I'm really enjoying working with the team up in Calgary and that's been really great but it is definitely an extra 
there's definitely been some Saturdays and some long, some long days since <laughs> yeah. the acquisition for sure. So that's good though. Yeah, so it's, so it's okay. Busy than worse. Yeah, so yeah. it it is, and you know, um, given where you know with the downturn in the industry, and you know, being a consulting firm through the downturn was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Oh, I know. I did it that was too. yeah. <laughs> so you know, everyone knows that the downturn was rough. Full stop. I don't mm-hmm. think we're out of that in Denver. Mm-hmm. We're still seeing a lot of volatility in that market. Full stop. And. Uh, but yeah, consulting was rough. And I'm really proud that when I made partner at MHA, so in January of 18, one of the managing partners retired and I stepped up and took her role. And I'm really proud of the changes we made through 18 with how we, you know, we compensated people with what we, how we cut expenses, what kind of projects we were doing, how we chased invoices. And we turned the company around and became actually even a viable candidate for a takeover. And, you know, I'm really proud. 18 sucked. Like I might yeah. be busy now, but 18 was really rough mm-hmm. um you guys have known me for a long time i was pretty much a mess this time last year and um it maybe hasn't changed you were but, doing you were doing um, great <laughs> <laughs> for how much but, you were juggling you were doing yeah great. so yeah. um and it's actually kind of interesting when the news of the acquisition finally broke i was talking to another person that we all know and he was like this all explains your behavior for the last <laughs> six months perfectly i'm like but i mean the, the fact that you were able to turn an organization around and make it uh, profitable enough that it was an acquisition target and then you guys were able to close and execute on it. I mean, that's really very, very impressive in my mind. And kind of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, a lot of our industry space, I, I look at it as kind of going the way of farming, where, you know, we used to, 80% of humans in society used to be farmers. Now in the, in the U.S. it's 2%, right? Yeah. And is energy moving in the same direction? I don't know. Right. I think a lot of the traditional jobs in oil and gas might be moving in that direction, but I'm curious about your perspective of how do we not only create the same amount of energy with fewer people, but rather create more energy with more people and create jobs for them? Yeah. Right? And no, I mean, that's the, something that you did with your firms. So yeah. The, the job space is definitely shifting. We've, I mean, yeah. when I first joined MHA in 2012, um, the type of consulting projects we did are vastly different in you know, a lot of the very traditional reserves work that we did. We still do a lot of that, but they're now smaller projects. It's more reserve audit work or stuff like that. Um, and a lot of it still requires, you know, a lot more litigation. We do a lot of litigation support and, and we do a lot of regulatory work as well. And so the, the swing from us being a reserve firm to a litigation and, and regulatory firm has definitely happened. Um, it was one of the strengths that we bring to Sprawl, bringing in that that very senior expertise in that space and litigation globally um, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I think that the jobs are changing. I mean, Colorado is no exception to that. The concept of energy, and, and I'll get off my soapbox here in a little bit, but <laughs> this concept around no fossil fuels and all this kind of stuff is is ludicrous. I'm speaking to a group and a, and a, and a group broadly that, that kind of understands that. But at the same time, you know, we're not being good. The oil and gas industry has a lot to learn as well. We can't flare a BCF of gas a day out of the Permian and the Bakken and turn around and say we're being good stewards. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I loved the fact that P&G turned the electric off in California because they went, no, we learned our lesson. You sued us a lot of money, so screw you guys. So, <laughs> yeah. um, And we saw a similar sentiment in Australia when I was working in Queensland where we were coming in and trying to develop local natural gas, and the pushback from that was astronomical. Unfortunately, Gaslands had come out at the same time, and the guy who produced that, whose name I do not remember, I don't know if one of you guys does, did a huge tour of Australia. Mm-hmm. 
And New South Wales, which is where Sydney is, they went down there and they Sydney said no. New South Wales said no, no, no development, no fracking. And on the same hand went, well, our electricity prices are too high. This, what's going on, this isn't fair. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a huge disconnect at the moment between energy generation and energy consumption. And that has, there has to be some... People want it cheap and it's just expected. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the dynamic, the, the amount of energy and where energy is coming from is changing kind of because we look at charts in terms of percentages, right? But when you look at the coal piece in Colorado, it's been pretty constant. It's declined mm-hmm. a little bit. But when you look at percentage in terms of wind and solar, it looks like it's gone down a lot more. Mm-hmm. So people think we've replaced things because of how we manipulate data and we, whoever, whoever's put, putting those charts together. So data is very easy to manipulate. It sends, people can send whatever message they want. And that's a message and something that we really, really need to be better as an industry. And we can't be good proponents of the industry if we're... On one hand, you know, here in Colorado, doing things really well, but then we've got counterparts in Texas and other places that are like, we can do whatever we want, so it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. we need to figure out how to meet the middle. And that's me getting off my soapbox in terms of how we're going to, you know, how, and 30 minutes is done. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's something I'm really passionate about. I've been talking to a lot of people about it. Um, I've been kind of broaching this kind of platform of like ethical energy. When you go camping, do you use firewood or do you take a propane tank? And why? And there's no right or wrong answer, but you're either going to cut down a tree or you're going to use something that's come from the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. and people expect that they can do either or both of those things and not even have a second thought about it. And it's like, well, us thinking about us as, as humans and what impact we have will stop is something that I've been kind of playing around with and thinking and talking to people, whoever will listen to me, actually. So we'll, <laughs> we'll stop that piece, but there might be more to come. But anyway, but then in terms of what we've done, um, like I said, yeah, we've seen that the work has changed. Um, one of the things that's been a really nice plug-in with Sprawl is that um, they traditionally have been a reserve resource shop. So essentially in Canada, they've been the NSAI Ryder Scott equivalent up there. And NSAI and Ryder Scott are, oh. sorry for listeners, they're reserve auditing Reserve firms. auditing firms here in the U.S. So they're that auditors are. to make sure that people are, who are estimating how much oil and gas yep. is in the ground aren't lying about it or cheating on yes, it. Yes, sorry. Thank you for that yeah. clarification. Yeah. again. Which does just... not exist in every country because we all know that Saudi Arabia probably does not report its reserves in a... Well, and this is where the big, well, yeah, well, but this is where I think the big issue with them going, again, sidebar, that's fine, but uh, them going to IPO is going to be a challenge because they're going to have to have someone come in and certify that. Exactly. Anyway, so there's a whole separate discussion with that. That's fine. Um, But most stock exchanges, depending on where you report to, whether it's the Australian, ASX, um, that we do a lot of work still for, um, whether it's the SEC, the Toronto exchange, whatever it is, you have to have every single exchange, China, Russia, all have their own standards that you have to adhere to and have reserve. Anyway. Because those are their assets. I mean, yeah, those, those are exactly. the assets and it's, of oil and gas And they're also looking out for the well-being of the people that are then, inv- you know, the everyday you and me as investors buying right. stocks on the exchange. Anyway. So Sprawl. So Sprawl, let's go back to that. So they were traditionally a, a Canadian-centric, did a lot of global work, but very much known for being a Canadian-centric reserve and resources sort of shop. And realized with, again, the way that the market's going in Canada, that that's not a sustainable long-term solution from a firm point of view, and diversified and really pushed renewable power generation company. Um, so we've got that capability. Um, they, that's cool. Yeah, they, we, we branched out. We've got not just the reserve resource piece, but we've got strategic advisory branch, which is very much where the litigation, merger acquisition stuff sits. 
We have a reservoir characterization, which is where all that reservoir modeling stuff sits. We have the reserve piece. We do a lot of training. And then we have we actually have an asset management group. That's another acquisition that Sprawl made a couple of years ago that at the moment is still very Canada-centric, but we're looking at how to expand that in the US where they go in and they operate distressed assets on behalf of the operator. So again, it's sort of an operating consulting oh, wow. piece. So we can do the full spectrum and starting to plug in some of that renewable power generation discussion as well. And so that's really exciting for me. We're an energy consulting firm, not just a niche oil and gas reserve right. shop or whatever, mm-hmm. training shop or litigation. We can do all of it and we can do all of it. So quickly. acquiring MHA was really a bolt-on mm-hmm. yeah. position. Yeah. And that skill set in the upstream space. Yeah. And we really, with the, with this, with the depth of seniority in our group, so um, before Sprawl turned up, there was – eight of us in Denver and four people in Bakersfield. And I was one of six partners and the other six partners are all, I'm going to say 60 plus. And if any of them listen to me, listen to this and I think one of them is 59 <laughs> and he'll get mad. Anyway. Deb is not 60, I am by not the way, 60. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm what, very proud. Yeah, I'm 21. It's totally fine. No, my husband and I decided I'm going to stay 33. He's going to stay 37 and nobody's going to be the wiser. Yeah. It's totally uh-huh. fine. No, I mean, I'm very proud to say I made partner before I turned, turned 35, um, which was um, a big deal. Uh, at least I thought it was a big deal. And we do, um, we do too. <laughs> that's why you're here. Yeah. Yeah. I was very proud of that. And, um, you know, it's a big age gap, but the seniority in that group is huge and with a lot of really good skill sets that strengthen. We can, yeah, we can do the reserve and resource piece, but we really, the piece that we bring that strengthens Sprawl's global offering is really around the litigation, regulatory work, the reservoir modeling, reservoir characterization, and then actually through our alliance with PetraSkills, the teaching and, and what we do there. So, we ran around and we changed all the logos out and for the most part, everyone's jobs were absolutely unchanged and we, we just started, I started running around Denver being like, did you hear? We got acquired. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? <laughs> yeah. um, Your email so address changed. My email address yeah. changed and stuff like that. You can still email me at the old one. It still comes through. So, mm-hmm. you know, fine, whatever. But, um, you know, so for the most part, it was a really nice, easy plug-in that made a lot of sense. So far, that's all been good. Yeah, let's go back to the making partner before the age of 35. Talk about that process and what helped you, what what were the biggest challenges, and yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Um, so at the end of 2017, uh, I guess I was brought into MHA um, always with the intention of being part of taking over and, and a, you know, a strategy for retirements for, mm-hmm. for the older staff. For the entire time I'd been at MHA, and there was a couple of us, um, you know, when you guys take over, when you guys take over, when you guys take over, with no plan for how we were going to take over <laughs> at all. You'll be fine. Um, well, and I think as well, like, unfortunately, um, you know, when I started in 2012, oil was like 120 bucks a barrel. Mm. Uh, you know, times were very different. And then obviously 14 hit, and we had to make some big changes. We went from MHA, I think, had over 30 staff in Denver when I started. Like I said, when Sprawl turned up, there was eight of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we went through a lot of very rapid changes. I'm very thankful that, you know, we came through that and I still even was there um, because there weren't many people that were. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, from a strategy point of view, at the end of 17, the partners that didn't include me, we knew one of them was going to be retiring. So she went in, retired. And then the five of them had to make a decision about what they wanted to do. And if they wanted to just be like, we're good, we're done. Or if they were going to bring me in and we were going to make a go of it. And I'd, the managing partner in Denver at the time, he and I had talked about what that process might look like and was I even interested. 
um, in that um, given, you know, that we'd had two pretty crummy years leading up to it, you know, and I had to think long and hard about it. And I, I, I went and actually spoke to the original founder of the company. I had lunch with him because he knew all the players. Um, I spoke to a lot of people in my network um, and just kind of bounced things off. That yeah. I spoke to the partner that was retiring. I'm like, what do you think? Like, Were you, you know, worried that you were sort of being asked to captain a, a sinking ship yes, since it was absolutely. the downturn? Yep. and Absolutely. You were shrinking. I mean, that's what it felt like, mm-hmm. to be honest. I had I had an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. I created an LLC. I was ready. I assumed that the partners were going to make a decision to dissolve, and I was ready to, to jump in and pick it up. And I'd, I'd had conversations with people about – if I start a new consulting firm assuming MHA is going to fold, are you with me? And mm. so I actually, you know, so I'd had some of those discussions. I And anyway, that obviously didn't transpire. And they were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to keep the lights on. You're in. We need to figure this out. And how do we, how do we get through? Like, let's just try and put a 12-month plan together. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we get through the next 12 months? How do we manage expenses? How do we, how do we try and get enough projects to keep our staff busy? How do we what kind of models can we have where we could, do we all be consultants, but then we don't get health insurance? What kind of mm-hmm. thing could we do where we still maybe have a salary, but it's still kind of more on a day rate kind of thing. And that's, we ended up kind of with a hybrid of that for the for the partners and it, and it worked. Um, if people wanted to work and had the work, they got compensated for it. Mm-hmm. And if people didn't have the work or, or didn't want to work, hey, I'm going to go to Australia for a month, like bye, then, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we weren't burdening the firm either. And and it was a, a weird, crazy system, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And um, it incentivized people as well. That was kind of part of the reason behind it was how do we incentivize people to do the extra work, go the extra mile if we're all on fixed salary? And so it became very much a, a work for compensation kind of model and it and it really turned us around. Um, I mean... But that's cool. I mean, it's, that's yeah. a great so, story, right? Yeah. And work to, through a challenging time yeah. right, to mitigate your expenses, mitigate the control that you could control, yeah. right, and then get through it. Yeah, and I'm really proud of that. Um, yeah. The model that we ended up coming up with was something I was very much involved in the con- conceptual piece of. It wasn't me alone, but... It was very much, I was very much part of that discussion. Um, I was definitely an equal partner at the table, even though I was the newest, you know, person to the table and, and we got through it. Um, and then that was where, um, by the end, by this time last year, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if this has all been worth it. <laughs> and like 18 was tough. I mean, cause it was, you know, I was trying to bring in business. Um, I was very much transitioning to run the office as well. Um, with one, I still had support with that obviously. And I wasn't the managing partner, but I was doing our budgets. I was involved in that process and stuff and then um Sproul actually sent an email to my then CEO and said hey we're gonna be in town can we have lunch he was like well I'm gonna be out of town but Deb and Stan can go Stan was like well I'm gonna be out of town as well so Deb you can go (laughs) okay and this was out of the blue or had there been some discussions this was a cold call essentially from them and I was like I was like, well, I bet they want to buy us. <laughs> From day one. Yeah. How'd you know? And uh, I didn't. I was like, it makes uh, sense. Like, yeah. uh-huh. they're a consulting firm that's a bit bigger than us. I hadn't really done much research on who they were. I then stalked on LinkedIn the people that I was going to have lunch with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I met with them. It was this time last year, um, which is incredible. Like, people talk about, where do you think you'll be in five years? I didn't know that I would be here 12 months ago. Like, my life has changed dramatically in the last 12 months. One last- lunch meeting. One lunch meeting. And I was like, so I bet they want to buy us. And everyone's like, oh, we can't be too hasty. Go back from lunch. Yeah, they want to buy us. 
Um, <laughs> but part of that discussion as well, you know, I was very frank with with the people on the other end, you know, on the other side of the table about the fact that, you know, I had people that wanted to retire. I was trying to manage that. And you, you know, like some of those discussions up front of like, you know, it's been difficult. I'd, I mean, I'd sat down with the partners in July couple of months before that and like when are you going to retire when are you going to retire when are you going to retire and I mean I was facing five retirements in essentially five years and trying to figure out how to grow and replace that myself right that's yeah. terrifying right because yeah. I guess you, like just for, for I those... skimmed over this like really right. quickly but it's been a crazy roller coaster right I was so, just going to say that like for our listeners who aren't in the oil and gas industry yeah. I mean I think that's very representative of the it, demographic it yes. where we have these experts with primarily gray hair and then we have a a big gap huge gap and then young professionals and so part of the value of your consulting company is all that experience those years of experience and you can't just replace them with eight new grads out of colorado school minds there there has to be that transition and that that knowledge and one of the reasons you bring in a consultant is because they are an expert so Mm -hmm. Even you know, trying to backfill the five I'm retirees like, that are experts. Yeah. Here's my twenty year old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just They're got a really petroleum <laughs> engineering degree. <laughs> you know, I can and, help. <laughs> so and um, you know and, and so anyway, so I was facing a very daunting task, full stop. Mm-hmm. And so I you know and I was very frank with with Sproul about that. Um, and I was like, part of the reason you're sitting here talking to me with my bright blue hair again, nobody can see you, but my bright blue hair and whatever else is that I am going to be taking over. And they're like, good, we're talking to the right person then. Um, and <laughs> I had got back, I'm like, yep, they, we want to sign a non, non-disclosure agreement so that we can actually see, you know, is everybody on board with this? Do we, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about it as a partnership group and yeah, okay, let's just see where this goes. And my CEO and I had, so between that meeting and the first meeting we had with Sprawl, he and I went and had lunch and um, we'd clashed a little bit during the year. Um, he and I have gotten, I'm at the company because of him. We've known each other for a long time and he was like, I'm done. It's your turn. Uh, he still wanted to work. He wants to do his projects, but he doesn't want to do all the day to day. And mm-hmm. we had planned a 25 year celebration because this year in 2019, MHA was turning 25 and mm-hmm. I had jumped up and down and stamped my feet. I'm like, we need to celebrate the fact that we've even made that uh, because damn yeah. it, this has sucked. What and, a 25 years, right? Yeah, exactly. I was like, no, this needs to be something we celebrate. To so even before Sprawl turned up, we had that on the calendar um, for that that celebration um and so when i sat down with my ceo he's like whether or not this thing goes ahead we're going to name you a ceo in july at that party I'm like <laughs> okay all right and without then talking to anybody else when we sat down for our first phone conference with sprawl he's like i'm out deb's in she's running this and it was like everyone else kind of <laughs> looked at me and we're on the phone and they were like really he's hand and that so um, and everyone kind of knew that was coming but it, it was a really nice kind of stopping point. So I, I definitely was one of the, there was three of us, very, very, everyone, all the partners were involved, but there was three of us that really drove the acquisition. I never want to read another legal contract in my life, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> ever. Um, <laughs> uh, bad news for yeah, you. I know, right? As, as I've read three today. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> as I'm starting to do more litigation work, but yeah. particularly on, on this kind of like employment agreement and like oh, company yeah. merging type thing, it's not wow. like oil and gas litigation. It's like painful. Anyway, so we, we did initial, initial meetings, kickoff meetings, kind of like this is what we do, this is what we do, who we are, blah, blah, blah. Um, by March, we signed uh, essentially a letter of intent. We agreed on a value. We signed a letter of intent. 
and we went into due diligence. So, and March for those of for these guys. So that's when I was doing the WEN conference. Yeah. So I Women's Energy Network. Yeah. So I co-chaired the Women's Energy Network technical program here mm-hmm. in Denver, which was two days, four track, hundred over hundred speakers here in Denver, and then a month later, um, with one of our SPE chairs, we co-chaired the pub. Yeah. So this was all going on while that. Yeah. <laughs> I was sorry. A, it was a, a very large. We did a yes, again a two day technical, technical conference here in yeah. town that had over two hundred participants, and I'm very proud of it. But it I awesome. um it yeah, was I really enjoyed. It. I appreciate it, and I got so sick. <laughs> oh yeah, I like I was like okay, I'm done, and <laughs> I like collapsed. Yeah, yeah, and I I yeah. I was so sick for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I'm one of the partners is like, you need to take a break because it's going to happen again. Anyway, so anyway, we went into due diligence um, and a lot of meetings, a lot of travel back and forth to Calgary. A lot of people came down kind of pulling apart, pulling apart our finances, pulling apart us as individuals, as technical staff, Mm -hmm. what capability we brought, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. And then in June, I went up to Calgary and essentially presented to the shareholders. Um, so Sproul is 100% employee owned. About half the staff are share, maybe a th- third to half the staff are shareholders. I am now a Sproul shareholder. Mm-hmm. The final kind of process was, okay, we'd signed the letter of intent. The board had kind of approved it. But the there had to be a, essentially a two-thirds vote by the shareholders. So I went up and, and the Bakersfield, the guy that runs our Bakersfield office came up with me. He was like, no, no. Off you go. So again, I've stood up as me in front of all these people. I'm like, hi, we're, we're the Denver people. And they're like, where did you come from? Anyway, it went well. It was great. And they obviously voted yes. And then and then we went into legal contract hell. Um, so um, I I pretty much don't remember July. Um, um, but you think you got a good it deal. Was, yeah, I mean, we, we you know, we, we, got, we got a good deal. Um, it was... It was all part of it. I mean, the legal process, essentially, we had to get six partners to agree on terms, and then we had to get the two companies to agree on terms through lawyers. <laughs> it was it was painful. <laughs> so, uh, but we did it, and we got there, and, yeah, we uh, we signed the Friday before we had the 25-year party, which was the Friday before ERTAC. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, um, everyone was like, oh, well, hold off until the – I'm like, we have to do this announcement, like – today because yeah. we've got a party with all these people coming and I'm going to one of the biggest conferences in the comfort country I need I, ca- I cannot do that I cannot have that announcement drop while we're doing and we can't go to this like 25 year celebration and essentially lie to everybody yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway so it was a crazy process um, it was a very accelerated time frame process but it was um, it was a huge learning curve full stop my husband kept saying through the whole thing he's like even if this doesn't go ahead it's it's a huge learning curve. Well, and I that's think it been, demonstrates what people can do. I mean, literally, if yeah. you want to go out and start something or if you want to be involved yep. or have a partnership, it's really put yourself in an opportunity or set yourself up to have a chance to step up, take something, take a project by the horns, take a company by the horns, yep. right? And then work your butt off, work your ass off to yep. try and turn it around. And then you did. And yep. then, I mean, I think it goes to show that it creates road to wealth or to uh, continued prosperity. Yeah. No, I become appreciate acquired it. Or, or, sorry, yeah. Become acquired, right? Yeah. And partner with other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really excited about what, you know, suddenly I have, I, I have three full-time jobs, but 
I, I suddenly have like a marketing department and yeah. a HR person and a finance team and you know we're working through the integration of how that all works but once we get it working like the amount of workload that's going to take off me because um, when we were doing some of the due diligence on the marketing stuff they're like well who's done that I'm like me well and who does it I'm like me <laughs> so having people and support because we're part of a bigger firm is once we get the integration kind of done it's going to be so valuable and it's going to allow me to kind of go and do the business development the marketing the the client interaction that I, I do really enjoy and and stuff like that so I am really excited about it and being part of that global firm is is just it's still really exciting so <laughs> cool. it's been awesome. four months it's still really good so anyway I feel like we skipped over a lot of the. I know we, we didn't. Yeah, piece, I know, but, but we really did. But <laughs> this was fascinating. About the, uh, so, yeah. the acquisition yeah. piece so, and everything, yeah. and yeah, hearing, hearing um, about your career, um, and yeah, I feel like you you almost described that story as if you would just happen to be in the right place at the right time as people were retiring and a little as, bit, but. I'm sure There's you have some. That she was there, right? I'm sure you have some advice that you can share with young professionals yeah. for if they want to be in your footsteps. Do something. Yeah, well, and even being, you know, with all the volatility and stuff mm -hmm. like that at the moment, is a lot of people have said to me like, "You're really lucky," and not just about this. I've had, I'm like, everything I've ever asked for, everything I've ever got. Sorry, I've asked for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's nothing happens by luck. That's mm -hmm. yeah. that's. That's BS. I think you already have. Okay. <laughs> Australian is fine. Uh, you know, that's, you really make your own luck. You have to ask for things. You won't always get the things you ask for. So you also have to take a little bit of rejection with that sometimes, but then understand that it's not necessarily personal. It's just that it's not your time and stuff like that. But if you don't put yourself in those positions, I am at MHA because I asked for the job, even in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, you know, I am a partner because it was something that was being discussed and, and then I was like, yeah, if the opportunity after I'd done all my due diligence, yes, I, I would like to take that opportunity. You need to make people aware of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're never going to get anything or anywhere and stuff like that. So be your best champion, be your best advocate and always ask. So, But I would piggyback one more step on top of that. I mean, it's one thing to ask, but if you're terrible at what you do, then oh, you're yeah, not going to yeah. get what you ask for that most is, of the time. That is a And true... I can say, I mean, from experience of working with you, so yeah. I mean, shameless plug for Deb, she's awesome and wildly intelligent. <laughs> I, I can say that because we studied for the PE, we professional did. engineering mm -hmm. exam together. We passed it together. We did. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have passed it had it not been for you. Uh <laughs> You know, and just seeing the way that your mind works and the way that you attack and approach problems, it's it's awesome. It's mm, excellent. I appreciate so, that. that. But, I mean, you've developed that over time yeah. through hard work. Yes. Right. Early in my career, there's sort of two pertinent things that happened. Is I, I started off in Australia working for an operator. I did all this time offshore. I went to Libya. I did all this stuff. And I got, you know, really high praise. You know, you're great. You're awesome. Stuff like that. And I was like, cool, when am I going to be a manager? And one of my mentors, who's still a mentor, he's been awesome, um, and he pulled me aside and he was like, why are you in such a hurry for this? And I was like, wasn't well, that what I'm supposed to do? Mm. And he was like, well, didn't you go to school for technical? So why, like, why do you want to give that up? And uh, I was like, oh, I don't have to? He's like, no. And that, so I left and followed another mentor and colleague across the country to Arrow and work there as their reserves engineer and stuff like that on the LNG project in Queensland, one of the LNG projects in Queensland. And Shell and PetroChina took over and one of the Shell people was coming in to be our team lead 
And our team went from like four to 40 really quickly. We went from 200 to 2,000 people like instantaneously at that company. It was crazy. And the new sort of subsurface head was like interviewing everybody and sitting down with everybody when he came in. And I was like, I don't want the job you're about to give me. And he was like, what? I was like, I do not want to be the team lead with only seven years experience for 15 people. He's like, what? I'm like, I've been talking to the LNG team and I'm going to go and work with them and be the reservoir engineering input to the, the whole financial model for the LNG and you can find someone else for that team lead role. I don't want it. He was like, oh, okay. And I like laughed um, and went and sat with the LNG team. I was mm-hmm. just like literally picked up my desk and went and sat with the LNG team. Um, and kind of made my own role, but I also, I, I stuck to technical. And when I left Arrow to go to MHA, I did that because MHA has been, you know, with that, the senior group that's there, industry leaders, particularly with, mm-hmm. with teaching and Petra skills and some of that kind of stuff. And it's given me the ability to learn and continue to learn from that group of people that are there. And I'm appreciative of that. And at 15 years experience now, I'm still considered a young manager, which is a really interesting kind of thing, right? But I You've still got a lot of career left. Which yeah. is terrifying at the same time. I'm <laughs> exhausted. I've already worked so hard. I know. Do I have to keep working this hard? <laughs> um, but that was a big thing for me. It was not it was staying in a technical role to cement my knowledge, to cement, you know, and I, I moved and I did different things. I did I work for operators both in conventional and unconventional. I worked for a consulting firm with projects globally, but I, I stayed doing that. And it that, I think, helps that base. And I think we're going to see a lot of young people moving into management positions purely because, as Ellen alluded to, there's nobody really. I'm kind of at the older edge of that next wave of young mm-hmm. people going right. through, yeah. which helps me as well. But, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of people that are 28, 29, running companies and that's you know it's not to say that they're not going to do a good job but it's kind of terrifying um at the same time um i know you had questions in there to talk about conventional versus unconventional but i've been on calls with lenders who the lenders are like well i've, I've worked a lot in the permian and the, and the eagleford and, and we're working on conventional fields and they don't understand the completions and they're, they're like why aren't we fracking this you know horizontal you know, 80% water cut sandstone well. I'm like, oh, no. oh my God, really? You're the one lending the money. Like, yeah. what? So, you know, that's that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, so I think, and I don't know if it's a female thing as well, but as women, we're kind of told that by 30, we're kind of old, right? We've got to get through. We've got to check, check, check. We've got we to get the career cemented. We've got to prove our worth. And then we've got to get married, have kids, buy a house, Take some time off, but go back, but stay. It's, I mean, it's exhausting. Yeah, and you I have kids after like, 35 year geriatric pregnancy. Like, how crazy is I that? I know. <laughs> so, I think, you know, it's an additional thing. And I didn't, I, I don't have children of my own. I now have a stepson. Um, and that was a choice I made a long time ago. Even when I ended up with a stepson, my own mother was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> so, it, but it was a choice I made a long time ago. But I see it with with female colleagues in particular. We're in such a hurry because we th- we've got this bullshit list of checkboxes that we think we've got to do. Mm-hmm. Even the, so the day I found out that I passed the PE, I'm like, cool, I'm going to go to my MBA now. And my husband was like, whoa, <laughs> slow down. Like, what? <laughs> like, one thing at a time. I'm like, well, I've done that one. He's I want like, more letters behind my name. It was kind of yeah. crazy. So, anyway. Anyway, so, yeah, that's staying in a technical role helped cement me with where I ended up 
and give me the creds to essentially do what I'm now doing. Yeah. Particularly so knowing what you want, knowing yeah. what you want and sticking with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did not want to get stuck in middle management hell. Mm -hmm. I guess that's kind of anyway where that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cool. So have you ever believed anything to be true about the energy industry and then had your mind changed? It could be was, oil and gas specific or, or energy, energy broadly. Yeah. I was thinking about this. I don't I don't know off the top of my head. Um, even though you gave me the questions a week ago. Um, but <laughs> I think I gave it to you on Monday. <laughs> I think one of the things, as I've been doing more research about energy generally, it's things that we don't necessarily take into consideration. So something like wind energy, for instance. All the projections we have for wind energy are that wind energy is going to increase. And that was a based on a Department of Justice report or a Department of Energy report, something like that. Anyway, whatever. But actually, when you think about it, and I read this, in a book, and so it has to be true. <laughs> Do you remember um, which book? Uh, yeah, Green Illusions. Okay. Um, Good. Yeah, and we've already put wind in the windiest spots because that made sense. So mm -hmm. that one to me, I was like, huh, it's so logical. And yet I was like, so why are all the projections going up? So anyway, that's a, I was like, and I haven't done any more digging into it, but that mm -hmm. was kind of like a, ah, oh, oh, yeah. Um, and it's not to say there's not windy spots still in the world right. and things like that. Um, I mean, did it also discuss about the fact that, you know, when you know, in a wind farm, then your your efficiency goes down, basically, yeah, the more tightly spaced. It's kind of like, you know... Well, well spacing, well right? Spacing yeah, well, well density yeah. and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, so... Yeah, I would say that that's probably it was kind of that was kind of like an ah, oh, okay, yeah. And as I'm sort of looking at more energy generally, just trying to start, and again, in all my spare time, doing, you know, a little bit more reading and due diligence on some of these things that relate to just energy generation generally, and also then consumption. Um, where are the efficiencies? Where are they not? And that's always, I don't know, that was an interesting kind of little like mm -hmm. snippet for me that I was like, huh. It can't just go up forever. Yeah. Same with the oil and gas industry. I mean, yeah. 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 So are yeah. there any industry trends that keep you up at night? Um, the, the young Such people, the, the young people making horrible, the young people making horrible business decisions because they don't have the right technical <laughs> basis is definitely one of them. Huh, um, interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think unfortunately, um, the thing, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, I think the, the concept of what we do as an industry, we're so, you know, fossil fuels development, whether it's coal now for a long time or oil and gas has been around for so long that there's this disconnect between generation and consumption yeah. and you know but then at the same time how do we how do we figure out that middle ground how do we how do we be better stewards as the oil and gas industry i think in colorado i think we're doing a good job of it even though we've got all the the anti um sentiment at the moment um but to doing them, better than anyone else yeah, and then yes, yeah, and yet much. to have, but then to have our our colleagues in Texas and whatever else just oh well we'll pay the fines and we'll just do whatever we want is frustrating. And yeah. we you know until until as companies and as an industry we do better that stresses me out because it's not you know I don't, I don't know it's it's a challenge. The idea behind unconventionals declining mm -hmm. and declining faster yeah. than they ever have before. I mean that's. When, when we look at the data, when my company looks at the data, that's what we see. Yep. Right? And yep. We've overdrilled. I feel like there's a this assumption about oil and gas, especially in the past decade with, quote, the shale revolution, that, oh, well, we can just manufacture this stuff now. We'll yep. just get it out of the ground, and it's so easy. But I don't really see that 
no. moving forward in the immediate future. So doing a lot of the similar work where we're looking at basin-specific type curves and area-specific type curves is that we are seeing faster declines. Um, interestingly, we've got some clients up in the Balkan and where we're starting to see upspacing again. They're not doing eight wells or six wells per section. They're doing three or four mm-hmm. because yeah. they're, the Balkan in particular, it's been developed. It's one of the earlier oil plays that was developed and, and they are actually seeing that that decline where wells are actually interacting and stuff. And some of the work I've been doing for one of my non-op clients is we keep going down and talking to operators you know, we pull public data to do that, and I and I get that public data is not great, and some operators do better than others. But when I pull regional, like, section offset data in the same formation at the same spacing and the same well length, and I look at an average type curve, every single operator has told me that they're going to be better than that. <laughs> that's not how statistics works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of you will be, and that's totally fine, but some of you aren't. And... <laughs> That that is, I, I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night. It, it it's amusing. Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate it's, for their balance sheets. Mm-hmm. And their, yeah, I know, and unfortunately, you know, with yeah. and being on that non-op side is really interesting because we get the option to participate or not. And for some of the stuff that we have participated in, when it's not paying out, and we go back to the operator and we're like. I'm making a hand gesture. You can't hear that because of the podcast. But I'm like, what? You know, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, but we're going to do better next time. I'm like, yeah. how? Why? Why are you going to be better than average if you're already not? So, this concept of manufacturing, I think, for the work that we do, particularly around some of the and looking at you with some of the science that you do, you know, I think the need for the science in these basins, unfortunately, um, and I was talking to Jennifer Miskimmons a little bit about this as well. The concept of reservoir management is like non-existent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're going to suckle the suckle the oil, we're going to flare the gas, who cares? I'm like, whoa, like what? I mean, even the fact that we've got so much gas in the Permian when all the original type curves assumed a flat GUR because we're never going to draw down below bubble point because this is just this tiny little thing. But it's so obvious for me, I mean, looking at anything, you, you yeah. get below bubble point almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, and but none of that was built into the original curves, which yeah. is why we have this... huge glut of gas and everyone's suddenly surprised about it like we're we're ignoring like we're ignoring subsurface physics and rock physics and fluid physics because we think we can manufacture it and that is from the unconventional point of view is a huge problem and one of the things that's been really interesting for me in trying to hire people particularly younger engineers and here in denver where unconventionals has been around now for 10 years i've got all these 10-year experience engineers that i go and talk to and all they know how to do is decline curves. Yeah. They might know how to do a little bit of material balance, and they can probably use spot fire. I'm not going to pay you a 10-year salary if that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. And people are surprised by that. I'm like, no. I need someone that can run a reservoir simulator. I need someone that can do material balance and well test analysis and work in both, understand the difference between a conventional and unconventional reservoir because we do work on both. And there still is a lot of that in the U.S. and with the with the conventional stuff. And you know, a lot of that science has been ignored, and I think we've we've destroyed some of the reservoirs in the process, unfortunately. So, so I, this keeps so. me up a little bit at night, right? Because when I think about energy production, oil in particular is a global commodity, mm-hmm. and the U.S. is competing on a global scale. And just exactly from you've described and what we've talked about so far, we're missing a skill set that mm-hmm. has been necessary that people throughout the world in other countries have. Mm-hmm. And I was just at a conference in Monaco, and... So, you know, I, I interacted with a bunch of people there that, you know, they're doing a lot of good technical mm-hmm. work throughout the world, and they're producing a lot more 
uh, than the quote unquote cowboy unconventional play in the U.S. Yep, and. Um, so I see that as well. So I teach um, a class called Reservoir Engineering for Other Disciplines for Petroskills. And I teach it here in the U.S. Um, and globally. So I'm actually going down to KL in December to teach it um, for the second time. And it's really... Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur. Sorry. I'm going to Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, all the acronyms. I hate acronyms. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> You've used a few. I know. Yeah. I, this is why I hate... Like Anyway. No, anyway. Whatever. The skill sets I see with, even in Houston, where the class will be mixed because it'll be some people that are doing Permian, um, Eagleford, Haynesville, and then people that are doing Gulf of Mexico offshore. Mm-hmm. And so that class will be mixed. The Denver classes tend to be very unconventional focused. And the Malaysian classes and the classes outside of the U.S., it's all conventional. And, you know, and it's and it's geologists and and drilling engineers learning about material balance and well testing and stuff like that because they're working with engineers who are doing those things. Right. Um, whereas here in the U.S., like, we're not doing – I mean, we're yeah. not doing any of that work. And, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate. It yeah. really is. And we are going to – unfortunately, with we're heading into, I think, mass consolidation. And I think, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people out of work, particularly here in Denver. And – you know, people even going to Houston to work for some of the majors, I, I would agree. I think people are missing, as a reservoir engineer, people are missing fundamental skill sets. That mm-hmm. Oh, I remember I did a class at that at school, but I haven't done it since. Mm-hmm. Um, and that mentality as well of, well, I currently work for, you know, I, I see it in training classes and stuff like that. And it's like, well, I, I currently work for a company that just does unconventional, so I don't need to learn that stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you're only going to work for a company that does unconventionals. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so it's just a really interesting. We have a very in, insular um, perspective of of our industry, and we think we're indestructible. And I say we now collectively. I've been in the US for nearly eight years, but luckily I do get to see it a little bit more globally, both with having worked um, in not just Australia but in other countries around the world, and then through the teaching as well, um, getting to interact with a lot of different uh, people from different backgrounds and from different countries as well. So awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, I guess just to end on a positive note. So <laughs> yeah, I'm like doom and gloom. There that, you know, this is part of the objective of this podcast is to talk about these larger issues than what everyone is doing in their day job so that we can start to broaden our horizons and think like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. that that uh, that smart reservoir engineer on that podcast told me that I should think outside of just my current job as a unconventional reservoir engineer and maybe I should, you know, go take a or class maybe at we don't have anyone at or... our company to, that knows how to do that, so we should go hire her. Right. Yeah. right? Yeah. If people wanted to get a hold of you, Deb, how yeah. would they? Uh, emails are usually the best. I'm terrible with other forms of social media. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right uh, with Instagram. I'm okay with Instagram. Yeah. I think uh, I like some of your Facebook That's posts. personal. <laughs> anyway, no, email is definitely the best. Um, it's deb.ryan, R-Y-A-N, at sprawl, S-P-R-O-U-L-E.com. If you're in the Denver area, I'm happy to go for coffee with people, that kind of stuff. Um, I do go to Houston quite a bit and stuff like that as well, but I guess this is the Denver YPE. But um, spend a lot of time we in Calgary as well. Anyone can listen. Anyone to can yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. a podcast. Yeah. So, but no. Anyway, if uh, yeah, if people want to email me, that's usually the best bet. Even if I'm traveling, I do pick them up. And um, yeah, I'm happy to take questions, thoughts, complaints. It's fine. I'll take it all. It's fine. Cool. Well, it's been fun, Deb. It really, really has been. Really Thank you. Really appreciate you, you uh, coming on. And yeah. It's been it's been fantastic chat with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's yeah. been really fun, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. And there you have it. 
Deb Ryan. <laughs> She's so much fun. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review and give us feedback. If you have suggestions about how we might be able to make the show better, feel free to reach out to us, leave us a comment. Uh, and also, if you know anyone that wants to chat with us about energy, energy policy, the environment, new technologies, etc., we'd love to chat with you. So have, us, have them reach out to us. We're really not that hard to find. Till next time, young professionals.